Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting, and baseball. Uh, you know, obviously, this is not one of our top three priorities for coverage, but um, hopefully our longtime readers know that I've been covering this team uh, for a while, and, and you know, we're, we're all about it now. This is a podcast solely devoted to Michigan baseball and its epic run to the College World Series. Uh, they are 2-0 there. First 2-0 start at the College World Series since 1962. They are guaranteed their just their fourth top four finish nationally in 153 seasons. Obviously, not all of those had the NCAA tournament, but just the fourth time they've been a top four team in the country. Uh, really an, an impressive run, and how we're going to break it down, uh, trying to think, you know, what how the listeners would want to, you know, because by now most of you kind of know the team. Maybe you want to know a little bit more of the the context or how they got to this point. So we're going to do five reasons for five five reasons behind Michigan's historic postseason run. Uh, Steve Lorenz is here. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw, your host. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com, uh, michigan.247sports.com. Lots of lots of baseball coverage. I don't think I've written a non-baseball story in a week uh, just cuz there's so much going on with this team. So many so many storylines that uh, you know, obviously, we're still going to do our part reporting and trying to find unique angles, but these stories kind of write themselves, you know, and they were down to their last strike and they, in the whole season in the Big Ten tournament, and they rattled off three elimination game wins, and they were the three seed going into the regional. They came out with a win, then they had to face the number one team in the country, uh, you know, against UCLA, take them two to one in the series, and then they're in the College World Series and they're the Kind of the darlings of the of the tournament, so uh, lots lots to take in, and we'll just go ahead and get started. Number one, I'm actually gonna take us back a little bit further back than than maybe people think. A lot of people look at this run and think it's some surprising epic thing. Michigan is recruited for this. You know, they they didn't necessarily uh, deliver top eight or top four recruiting classes, but one thing with Eric Backage that I think has really really put him in position for this and where whereas another Michigan team that peaked at the right time maybe doesn't have this high of a ceiling is they've had really excellent recruiting uh you know they've had depending on which site if you count all the sites they've had four top 25 recruiting classes uh in his seven years that in 20 the 2017 class so they were freshmen last year the sophomores this year that class was ranked 10th in the country by baseball america in September 2017, once everyone got on campus, there were some late ads because they lost players they weren't expecting to lose to the draft. They had 11 players drafted, but but he's really increased the talent level and to the point where I believe they've been a preseason top 25 team uh, three of the last four years. It's it's starting to become a little bit more normal for them to be in these conversations, uh, and and they're getting guys who are who are going pro, you know, and getting guys who probably probably could use college but don't necessarily need college i don't think they're ever going to be able to recruit with at least as as long as the scholarship limit is so low i don't know if they'll ever be able to recruit like florida texas you know ucla uh these these big southern public schools that go to college world series all the time i don't know if they'll ever be able to recruit like that but i think Backage does a really fantastic job of finding either diamonds in the rough I think they've recruited the state of Michigan better. So diamonds in the rough, someone like Jordan Brewer, who was playing at Lincoln Trail Community College on the Indiana-Illinois border. Uh, his, the field was 
it's basically gravel. I mean, it's a worse field than my high school field was. And, uh, you know, they have about like a hundred seats in the, in the stadium and, you know, and, and they found him and they found other Juco guys. They locked down the home state, Carl Kaufman, Tommy Henry, two guys who probably could have gone pro probably could have pitched for any school in the country. Uh, perhaps could have had more of a scholarship at some of those other schools, but he was able to sell them on, you know, you can win it. You can contend for championships here. Uh, they've been able to recruit, you know, they've developed a really impressive Chicago pipeline, uh, the Chicago White Sox ACE program, one of the White Sox charities that is a travel team in the south side of Chicago. I know Backage kind of went viral talking about that the other day. But, um, you know, the Chicago pipeline, they've got six players from Wisconsin where there isn't a, you know, Marquette and UW don't have teams. So, Steve, you know, you, you cover recruiting, obviously not for baseball, but, uh, you know, that was Backage's MO. He said, you know, to, to compete with everybody, Michigan needs to recruit talent that once you get to the stage, uh, you can deliver. And, you know, baseball's a weird sport because you don't need everyone to deliver, but you do need someone to deliver every time you take the field. And uh, have you been able to, to gauge the recruiting level or the uh, recruiting pitch that they've, that they've delivered? I mean, I know, I know you aren't necessarily someone who was covering this or, or alongside it, but it just seems like you know, people are overlooking. I mean, this was a team that was preseason 17th in base in NCAA.com. Uh, the talent level certainly seems to be there, and it's it's just a matter of whether it's showing up, you know, in when it counts or not. Yeah, I mean, I don't obviously I don't know Jack about uh, the differences, I guess, between baseball recruiting and uh, football recruiting stuff like that. I, I do know, you know. But one thing, they're going to have to continue to probably leave the region in some capacity, uh, you know, to, to continue to succeed. I don't think you can – I think it was mentioned during one of the broadcasts, you know, that uh, while keeping your best guys in state is obviously something you're going to want to do in every sport, it's not a sport where you can build a team <laughs> mostly comprised of, like, you know, a little bit different than, like, a, you know, maybe like a, how a Georgia and football can just – recruit 15 four-star guys out of Georgia every cycle, you know, is sort well, of the foundation like, of their... UCLA, you know. they, UCLA had one out-of-state recruit, and I believe right. it was Toglia, the, sure. their top player. Yeah, Michigan high school baseball is not anything close to what California or Arizona or Texas baseball is. And so that's where things get, you know, because you, you aren't going to be able to get everybody because, you know, uh, if you're offering a kid from Florida... A half scholarship, which is a pretty big deal in baseball, he can still go to Florida with that in-state tuition for cheaper as a walk-on. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing, and that's where I think Backage, his eye for talent, his prioritization, and you've spoken about this for the football team, getting guys pros. I believe he's had, um, what, 24 players drafted in the last five years. You know, that's that's a lot more than most schools. And so that, that sort of stuff helps because you're not going to get everybody. Some guys just aren't even going to pick up the phone. But, you know, every every chance you get to look like a championship-caliber program, maybe someone says, oh, I'll take a visit or I'll see what the facilities are or I'll see maybe maybe I could be the star at Michigan versus the seven-hitter at uh, Florida or something and just piece by piece put together a class that can work. So I, what I like that package did was when, I mean, it is, it's the thing that went viral, but it was genius. And like, I would do that 
if I was a football coach, you know, I was like that, those useless, like, halftime interviews. Hmm. Like, when they ask a dumb question about, you know, what do you need to do in the second half to either sustain or come back or whatever. It's like, I would just answer it and, like, not even answer the question and just talk about why you should play at my school. Well, he was asked eventually. about the well, recruiting no, no, pitch. No, yeah. But, but still, though, like, the way like, it was, it was, uh, it was eloquent. It was to the point, um, and it was, I think it was something that would resonate, you know, with a kid, I would think, anyway. I mean, I listened to it and thought, yeah, that's a really fresh look at, you know, how, how to build a program. Because, yeah, like you said, Michigan in baseball, is, they're going to have built-in built in, uh, disadvantages, you know, in a lot of spot in a lot of situations. And, you know, so it's, there are things that they're going to have to overcome, and one of those, I think, is going to be turning over every rock. You know, and I think, you know, they've obviously shown that they've, they're at least, I mean, they're definitely proficient in it, you know, if not excelling in that regard. So, you know, a nice, a really, and that's the thing, too, about what he talked about with his recruiting pitch was it kind of feels like that's what this team already kind of is. You know, it's a very wide variety of yeah. uh, pieces, you know, that they've put together from different parts of the country with different, with wildly different stories. You know, it's not a you know, it's not a group of guys that are, you know, we're all like future are all like guys who are maybe projected future draft picks that type of deal. You know, some of these guys have turned themselves into that uh, through development and stuff. So, you know, I think uh, you know what what everything that he said in that interview is something that I think is we're watching actually take shape and take place in this run. You know, and that the, he can go back, you know, on the trail and talk about this with this guy with it, whoever he's going to try to recruit going forward and say you know we turned new all good from a walk-on across the street to a major league a major league draft pick yeah you know, and like that type of stuff like it, again i think that type of stuff doesn't matter what sport it is like you're going to listen to that if you're a potential uh, college baseball player who wants to play in the pros someday and maybe you're not a you know top 100 or uh, you're you know Keith Law has never mentioned you before you know it's like those guys you know you're gonna have to develop and uh he'll have something to fall back on and, and a foundation to show kids like hey we can do this so yeah yeah I think actually showing these development stories and that will transition to our next one in a moment but you know Jordan Brewer was a nobody 12 months ago Jordan Wogu wasn't a nobody he was a freshman all-american but two years ago you know I don't think he was quite as prized as as he would be now and and I think you could say the same for Jimmy Kerr I mean he was a walk-on his you know by he's starting to turn into Kentucky transfer Charles Matthews in the same way he's third generation Wolverine Jimmy Kerr uh based on the broadcast but you know some some of these recruits have fallen in their lap but they weren't necessarily these prized players and and I think the second reason that they're in the position that they're in is developing this starting rotation because it's it's hyperbolic to say they are among the best pitchers in Michigan baseball history but based on where you know uh, Tommy Henry Carl Kaufman and then Jeff Criswell next year based on where they're either drafted or projected to be drafted they are going to be among the top all three of them among the top 10 pitchers in Michigan baseball history and and I think there's a few reasons for that some of it's luck you know to have Henry and Kaufman feed off each other and work out so much. They were fre- freshman year roommates. I believe they were roommates all three years. You know, and Criswell, 
uh, joined the party. I think he went to the same, uh, or it's from the same town as, as Tommy Henry and the Portage Baseball Factory. So some of it's, you know, stuff Michigan didn't do. But Chris Fetter uh, has really developed this pitching staff into to something exceptional. I mean, for, for all three guys to be top two-round picks, that has never happened in Michigan baseball history. Not even the 80s glory days. They didn't have three guys. They might have had, you know, one or two. Um, and so so for them to be in this this position, I mean, that's what it is. The hitting, you know, they've, they've had some clutch hits. We'll talk about that later on. But I think they're only hitting around 250 in this postseason. You know, it's not like it's, it's not like Michigan's mashing the ball here. But they've had guys who deliver time and again. I mean, Carl Kaufman uh, held Creighton, 14th best offense in the country on batting average held them nobody got to second base until the ninth inning you know and then and then Criswell Criswell hasn't been quite as dominant so far this postseason a couple more rickety starts uh, where the guys are threatening to score and he's walking guys but has gotten the job done I believe I believe there have been two games this entire postseason where Michigan one of those three starting pitchers didn't have a quality start and one of them none of them pitched in so they didn't really have much control over that one so it's it's really just a sight to behold. And Chris Fetter, for those that don't know, former Michigan player uh, in the 2000s during the Maloney heyday, uh, you know, former ninth-round pick. I think he, he's able to re- – I mean, he's only, what, 30 uh, – doing some quick math here, what, 35? You know, 33, 35. Able to really relate to players. He's embraced the new-age sabermetrics. But he also knows what good pitching looks like. And I think he's been able to – to develop it and I know you were talking before the show he's just able to call a good game and I think he's able to call a modern game too you know it's not the traditional it's not always the traditional pitch right the the three the 3-0 fastball 3-1 curveball right I mean you know, a lot of hitters predict that I mean he's able to do things that kind of shake up the norm use all those charts the sabermetrics the kind of things that have extended Justin Verlander's career for all the Tiger fans who didn't need that reminder but um, you know, I I think I think they've got a good one, and I've heard I've heard major league or actually Bakich even said major league teams have expressed interest. Uh, but he wanted he wants to be a part of Michigan at least for now. Obviously, every coach says that until they get their dream offer. But really, a sight to behold these three. I mean, you can tell they feed off each other, and you can tell that they really respond to everything Fetter teaches. Oh uh, yeah, I thought again. Henry's the one throwing the ball, but you still, uh, like I said, there's not a guy that has 97, 96, 97, you know, velocity on his fastball. When you're relying more on changing speeds, it makes calling who's calling the game that much more important. So you know, I thought it, that was just an all-around masterful effort. Uh, I, it was a game. I, I know the Florida State game specifically. You know, I know it was only two nothing, but it just never really felt like. Florida State was going to threaten, you know, and that that's that's a rare this late in the game, uh, you know, and this late in the in the season or whatever, you know, when you're the best playing the best teams in the country, day in and day out. Rarely are you going to see a pitching performance like that where, I, you know, and maybe I maybe I'm the only one that felt that way. I just no felt, no no, you're not alone at all. That was I mean ten right? ten I strikeouts. Like the Texas Tech game and the Florida State game were totally different. Texas Tech, you know, I know it did kind of come down to the wire a little bit in the last inning but 
even just throughout inning to inning, it was like Texas, you know, just we're almost waiting for Texas Tech to kind of put something together. This game against Florida State felt totally different. I mean, it felt like Henry was in absolute, just total control of the game. And uh, that's why I said I, I think you you got to look at him right now as, you know, I mean, of course, they're threats to win it, but, man, I mean, if those two guys go Kaufman and Henry probably going to go back-to-back again, I'm, I'm, unless they, I don't know, you would know more here, but maybe throw Henry out on Friday or uh, Kaufman probably, on Saturday, I don't know. Probably Kaufman on, on Friday. So, so okay. real I mean, quick, thought, for those that are that have made it this far into the podcast and you're wondering, okay, what's what's going on, what's the situation? I didn't do a great job explaining it at the beginning, but they – they're gonna. They're sitting for now. They're resting for now. Florida State and Texas Tech will play tonight. The winner of that game will face Michigan on Friday, but it's a double elimination format, so Michigan has to lose twice. So they'll play Friday and then Saturday if necessary. So if it is Texas Tech, I think it's going to be Texas Tech. I think they're the better team. Florida State did have some magic, so they're kind of. Um, I think. I think that might have run out. They only have one run so far this series, and it was on a or in, in this weekend, and it was on a sack fly in the ninth inning against um, against Arkansas. But anyway, so someone's got to beat Michigan twice to prevent them from heading to the best of three national championship game. Uh, so as far as pitching, I think they're going to go Kaufman on Friday. Hope to win it. Uh, they might go Henry on Saturday. I could see them going Criswell on Saturday at first just because Henry pitched on Monday, but getting that Wednesday off, that is so big for a team starting pitching. Um, I'll, I'll have a story about that. But at the same time, it's like all three of these guys are just so consistent, and they're so, you know, again, none of them were top five projected round picks coming out of high school. I think, I think they all could have been drafted. Uh, you know, Henry was Gatorade Player of the Year for Michigan, and uh, I think Kaufman was a was a perfect game All American. So I mean, they were they were good. You know, they weren't nobodies, but to vault this high, you know, and and as you said, the masterful for performance on Monday for Henry, yeah, Henry did was the one throwing the rock, but you know, for him to improve his slider, improve his changeup, uh, you know, the the breaking balls, and you know, maybe get a little bit of extra control or movement on his fastball because toward the end of the game he wasn't even throwing um you know above 90 on half of his fastballs but it was still working just the way he was able to control no walks i i think that that's that there's some work in the fall and in the off season that goes into that 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 probably deserves more attention than it's getting i agree i really not much else to say i already talked yeah. about that so i i fully agree i mean i think uh you just can't say enough about what they've done. So number on every every facet. Yeah, yeah. So number three is, and we kind of touched on this. Uh, they are not hitting extraordinarily well. And actually, if you go look at the numbers, the the main guys at the top, Jordan Brewer, Jordan Wogu, Jesse Franklin. I know he had the home run on on Monday, so that kind of dilutes the point. And 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 Wogu and Brewer have gotten hits. But I, neither of them are hitting what their season batting average has been, and and really as a whole team, the average is down. They led the Big Ten in batting average. You knew it was going to drop a little bit when you're facing the number one pitching staff in the country in UCLA. Uh, but even Texas Tech and Florida State have have limited what 
previously been a really strong offense. But I think one thing that's really keying this, and this is both at the plate and in the field, is the other guys. You know, you're getting outlier performances. That's the beeline phrase. Uh, you know, when you're in the postseason, you need outliers, guys who play better than expected. You're getting that from Akeo Thomas. You're getting that from Christian Bullock. You know, Jack Blom- Jack Blomgren, uh, Joe Donovan. I mean, these are guys who are really, you know, again, they're not mashing the ball. Well, Donovan did it against UCLA, but it's it's not like they're hitting 400, but they're giving you more than you expected to get from them. And they're scoring a lot of runs. They're doing, you know, Backage calls it the gritty swing because, uh, you know, with two strikes or with two outs, you're really just trying to put the ball in play or get get the bat on the ball. You're not trying to swing for the photo for the photographers you're not trying to swing you know to to hit it to off the off the wall you know you're just trying to find a way even if the pitch stinks and you you have a bad read on it just trying to find a way bat to ball you know and they're doing that and they're putting the ball in play and i know jimmy kerr bats clean up but i think he's done a little bit of that too where you know his hit against florida state it was hardly a pretty single but he was able to and it was not a very good swing but he was able to get the bat on the ball and just put it out there and it just got past the fielder and ended up scoring not the game-winning run but probably a a little bit of a clinching second run that really changed changed the scope of the game so you know and Thomas a lot of hustle plays you know he's someone he's had a lot of setbacks you know he was on track to be a Big Ten player of the year and on track to be a you know top five round pick as a sophomore in 2017 broke his hand had a couple other injuries along the way, and he's not, I don't think he's even hitting 300 right now, but he's hes getting on base, he's hustling, and you're seeing why this was a, I mean, he was a player that was supposed to be kind of the center face or centerpiece of the team back in two years ago, and now he's batting ninth, but I don't think it bothers him one bit. You know, Donovan has obviously been through a lot. Um, you know, Blomgren, you, everyone saw him trying to put a broken dislocated pinky back in mid game. You know, these are these are some tough guys and uh I think they're I think that's reflected in their approach at the plate and that's reflected in how many two out runs Michigan has been able to get. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Blake Nelson had two of the best at-bats, maybe three of the best oh, I didn't even mention him. Against, <laughs> yeah, three of the best at-bats in the game against Texas Tech. I mean, I, I, you could almost argue he was their most valuable play, one of their most valuable players in that game, probably one of the two or three most valuable players. I feel like every at-bat he did exactly. I feel like he moved the runner over in the first inning, which was an owl, but at least I, I'm trying to recollect perfectly. But um, no, he had a base hit to begin. And then on a two, I think it was a two strike count. And then I believe he moved a runner over. I don't, I'd have to, but I know, I remember coming out of that, I think I even tweeted it. I thought that he had four great at bats in that game, you know, and another guy really, what, one home run? Yeah. Right? Not a, not an offensive uh, juggernaut of any kind in their lineup, you know, but really came through with a few really clutch at bats in that first game. So, uh, yeah, it's like guys stepping up at the right time, which again is another universal sport thing. You know, it's 
like that, that when you have your other guys that you say step up, I mean, that's really can, can make all the difference in the world for you. It takes a little bit of the pressure off of the guys that you usually lean on too. Yeah. You know, maybe make them play a little bit more loose, knowing that it feels like everyone's on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Well, our number four, since it's basically, it's a lot more similar to our number three than I initially thought. But I think Michigan has played really clutch. And so I'll offer some background. Michigan, for for much of Bakich's tenure, I think you could argue they underachieved. And that's not necessarily a slight. But again, we mentioned there's been a lot of seasons where they entered the season as a preseason top 25 team. They don't yet have a postseason top 25 finish. They have the most wins in the Big Ten over the last five years. I believe it's 74. That's off the top of my head. If it's not 74, it's somewhere around there. They don't have a Big Ten regular season title. You know, they have not played up to their seed every year in the Big Ten tournament. They have the win in 2015, uh, but there have been a lot of 1-2, and 0-2 oh weekends uh, that have been really frustrating. And Sauer close, closes to the finish. You know, when, when they've got a title on the line, they sometimes they've, they haven't delivered. Uh this team, so Bakich every year, he, he tries to figure out how to coach this, and there's really no easy way to coach it, but he he tries to formulate these simulations in the fall, these mental toughness simulations, you know, whether it's running an extra 100 yards in your sprint or, or exercises where there are real consequences to not performing at your best, things like that. And I think this, it, it, it took him a while, but I think this team really responds to that approach. And and I think they really respond to Bakic and his energy and his his approach to getting better. And I think as a result, this team's really clutch. You know, we talked about, I think all but two of their runs in this College World Series have been with two outs. Their two-strike hitting has really improved. They're able to foul balls off. And I mean... The relief pitchers did just as well against, you know, from Florida State against Michigan. But they're start, getting that starter out after five innings. That's big time, you know. That that puts Florida State in a situation that they didn't necessarily want to be in. And so they've been able to do that. I looked it up. Opponents in the last five games are hitting four for forty-six with runners in scoring position, and that's the pitchers again. They're good pitchers, but there's something to be said with runners in scoring position for. Uh, shutting guys down. I mean, even Isaiah Page inherited the bases loaded with no outs in in the Creighton Regional Championship, and uh, boom, boom, boom. You know, and against UCLA, they really should have been smoked in in that second game. They had five errors and they had ten walks, but they only gave up four runs, five runs maybe, uh, over twelve innings, and and they they were in the game the entire step of the way because clutch hitting, clutch pitching, and I think. I think there's a mental edge that produces that. Some of it is luck. They aren't always going to uh you know hit well or pit, make the right pitch. You know, it doesn't doesn't always work out, but I think there is a mental toughness that this team seems to have that it's like whenever they're whenever whenever us, you know, watching at home or covering the game, whenever we're thinking, "Okay, well here's where Texas Tech makes its run or makes its move or here's where uh Michigan might be in trouble this this inning." You know, they they get they get some hits or they get some outs whatever whatever side of the ball they're on and they just keep trudging along i mean they've all been close games and michigan's been on top in all of them yeah no i mean 
mean, you know, again, I think you kind of took that there. I mean, there's really not much to add to that point. I mean, they've done what they needed to do when they needed to do it. Um, I really, yeah, I mean, I've been impressed with, uh, you know, they, they, I, can we just, can we do say, though, they've caught a couple little breaks in yeah. some spots, too. Was it the game against UCLA, that ball that went to third base? Um, oh, the, yeah, <laughs> they got the double play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a huge that was a huge play though because that was another bases loaded no outs situation where like I think the both UCLA base runners were super confused. Um, but again, that's what happens. Yeah. These, you know what I mean? That on runs like this, you're always going to catch uh, a couple breaks. I feel like, and that's sometimes that's the sign that maybe it's it's your year. You know that everything. Um, but they've also had, yeah, they have. They've made the right play at the right time, and they've taken advantage of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that break because that's a game that they eventually lost. But yeah, there's been other things where you know we saw yeah, against still, Texas Tech. I, oh, go ahead. No, I just say I know they lost, but still, I mean, they you know they're just they've had a couple bounces, you know. Yeah, well, against Texas Tech, you know. There were a couple balls where it looked sure looked like a base hit off the bat, but Michigan had the right shift, um, you know, and, and that's some of that's coaching, but but some of that's also there are some breaks. I, I think it would be naive to think Michigan is just going uphill this entire way. I mean, they've they didn't face Oregon State, who has the second best pitching staff in the country, and they'd be playing at home. Um, Oregon State went zero and two, so maybe maybe that isn't that big of a deal, but you know, you never know how things could be different here and there or, you know, Creighton ran out of pitchers, like literally just had nobody else left to throw, Um, you know, in that championship game when they had all the momentum, uh, you know, UCLA, uh, there were a couple, couple hits or a couple balls that were hit really well that that looked like they could have been more, but the wind carried it one way or the other. You're going to have breaks. I I think it'd be silly not to, but um, Michigan is doing their part, you know, and that's, and that's that comes down a lot to to coaching. You know, how do you put this team together? How do you get this team to have the right mentality? And I think I think the, our fifth reason Michigan's on this run is the coaching. I think you know, I mentioned how they coach mental toughness, uh, but Backich. I mean, you you haven't seen a ton of Michigan baseball and and whatnot. So I'm curious. I'll let you start. But it seems like Backich is like the exact perfect coach for this team, and then also this situation that they're in, the house money kind of situation. Right, and that's the flip side, though. Like, it is, I, I obviously, house money, I think they can they can play the uh, whole we're not supposed to be here, nobody's going to believe it. They could ride that all the way at this point, I feel like, right? <laughs> I mean, they're going to be underdogs outside of the, you know, having to lose two in a row, but probably if they were to win, if they're to move on to the championship game, we have to believe they're probably going to be underdogs regardless yeah. of who they yeah. play, right? I'd I mean, probably be Vanderbilt, I'd, and yeah, they'd be underdogs. Right. So, I, but I think what's been so interesting about that, though, is that I feel like the way that the games have been managed have been very logic-based, though. You haven't seen many what I would call risky they've just been smart sound it's been consistently smart sound decision making as far as well like i say the game against texas tech they called the shift at the perfect time 
with Thomas. You know, a ball that normally would have been a base hit right up the middle. I believe Texas Tech was threatening at the time. You know, ball goes right to him. You know, hit the ball right exactly where the shift had moved. Get out of the inning. You know, and then obviously go and win the game. Or staying with Henry. You know, I feel like some guys, some managers maybe. I know his pitch count wasn't super high, but again, I mean, you had the lead. You're thinking, okay, we're going to play again at some point. You know, I know we get some time off, but still, like, we can, we have Criswell in the bullpen, can finish this off, you know, let's take him out, especially with the way games are called in the majors nowadays, where guys are getting pulled after 85, 90 pitches, and, you know, the bigger emphasis on the bullpen. Um, he just kind of stayed the course with his guy, which, again, I think any layman or regular baseball, anybody who knows anything about baseball would have done that, but I feel like some guys in the situation may not have gone that way. You route. can overthink. So, you know, you can you can micromanage. Yeah, exactly. And... They're, they're not overthinking. There's no overthinking going on. You know, which I think is what's it's interesting in the context of the idea that they are kind of the quintessential underdog in this tournament. You know, yeah. and that's you usually, like you say, like you said, you know, with no nobody's expecting them to really have even gotten this far to begin with. You know, you'd think that would lend itself to taking more chances or, you know, risking things a little bit more because um, these have been close games. You know, it's not as if these decisions are being made when you're up five or six runs. I right. mean, these are all, right. you know, the, the way the game is being managed, these are in tight, like, you know, high-stress type situations. And back and, and the crew, they've refused to kind of buckle. I mean, I just feel like they've consistently made – the right dis- the note they've done the note they've played the no doubles defense consistently as well uh, right well, despite what that broadcaster game- had to say right <laughs> what's that were you watching game one of michigan versus ucla um I'm, i was i want to say i did but i, I think that was so the one that i didn't watch actually. the broadcaster clearly had a fit about no doubles defense and in, in, it came out in the fourth inning. He's like, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like the right decision. And then, sure enough, like there was a ball hit that they definitely would not have caught if it was a no. And then, and then again in the ninth inning with the runner on first and a one run lead, he was like, I don't know why you'd play no no doubles defense. And it's just, it's like, well, I, that that's like the one time where you would want to play no doubles defense. But anyway, that was just a funny aside. Uh, you know, it's, well, well, I feel like the analyst in the UCLA series was a West Coast guy to begin with. Yeah, he was like, a Pac-12 guy. He he yeah. didn't he wasn't a UCLA grad or anything, but yeah, it did seem like well, and this is natural if you're the number 1 team and you're a broadcaster preparing for it, aren't you kind of preparing your game notes for how good UCLA is, not how good Michigan True. is? You know. It was just very clear uh, <laughs> right. that you know, so but yeah, so yeah, but I mean, so like, I feel like the decision making, as far as uh, just basic managerial decisions, have all been obviously most, if not all, have been correct. But they've been what I would call just basic logical decisions. And sometimes making the simple call isn't always that easy. Uh, when when it when, again, when your backs, when you when, not when your backs against the wall, but when nobody's really, you know, giving you guys, you're giving your team much of a chance. You know, but again, that comes down to knowing your guys, believing in your guys, you know, and and believing in your staff too. Mm-hmm. You know, to kind of a, you know, jointly or, or collectively make the right decision. So, you know, that's to me that I, I guess I don't know. That's been one of the interesting things to me. Uh, it's just been a lot of the right calls 
within the context that, yes, nobody's picking them to win, sometimes that makes a team, therefore a man or a manager, therefore a team sort of play with their hair on fire a little bit. But I think what's really been impressive is that Michigan's been incredibly composed uh, yeah. throughout this tournament so far. And, yeah. And uh, when really there's almost no reason for them to be, kinda, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, and that's, I think that's really what's, uh, I think that's what's been interesting. And again, yeah, that starts, that starts from the top down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's where you can see package where his fingerprints are all over. Uh, yeah, you know what Michigan's done. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's kind of speaking to the less tangible, less in-game stuff. I mean, because as you said, they they've always looked composed when really uh, the opposite should be true. But for those who have not followed this baseball team, which is, I assume, a good chunk of our listeners. Backage, I compare him a lot to Scott Frost, actually. You know, very high tempo, high energy, um, very youthful, energetic, would get out there and play if he still could or if they would still let him. You know, he, he's kind of one of those types of coaches. And I, I remember when they won the Big Ten tournament and, uh, you know, I'm interviewing a couple of the players and I think it was a it was like raining or whatever. And Backage just sprints toward us and like, does a 20 foot slide in the grass and like almost takes us out. And then he's like, like doing a little pose at the end. I mean, he's just a very high energy guy. At one point he was the youngest coach for like five years in all of division one baseball. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting seeing this run because I think at times even he would get a little tight when, when there's a trophy on the line or there's a postseason. but I think he, he had a change of, his approach, and I think he saw it a little bit in his team, and his team saw it in him, where they're just going to play loose, you know, and and yeah, it's house money, but they also have a chance to win, and they also are trying to win. I mean, they didn't go into the season, yeah, we'll we'll maybe make the tournament, and then that'll be it. No, they they had Omaha in their sights, like every competitive person in college sports would say. Um, but just his ability to stay loose, his ability to just, uh, you know, keep it positive with the team, I think is... It's another factor, you know, and and believing in his guys, right? Like he's not, he's not saying Tommy Henry, like, oh, you know, you're on a tight leash here. Like, what does that do? That kind of tightens up what you can do. Uh, no, he's saying this is your game, just go win it. And you know, to to his batters, he's you know, it's all about positivity. I mean, they have those belt um, signs, and one of the signs is just to smile. You know, sometimes he'll just send a sign down, you know, through the through the pipeline or from the dugout that says just smile. So it's. He's a very loose guy, and um, I think I think his team feeds off of it. I, you know, I've talked about the mental toughness, and that's a component. But as you said, I mean, for them to be composed in these situations, I think that says something about the team's confidence in each other, in themselves, and just embracing. Yeah, go ahead. It's two way street. Yeah. Manager is manager is obviously confident in his players. And the players are obviously confident in the decision making of the of the staff, you know, and like that stuff can that stuff feeds off of each other, and can kind of, and again, I I don't really think that's necessarily it's not a baseball specific idea either, right? I mean, I just think it's but it's tangible here because they've played sound again, like we saw talk about the sound decision making, but again, Michigan's played sound baseball. I mean, you talk about how they manufactured a couple of the runs against Texas Tech, uh, stolen base move the runner over, sacrifice fly. Uh, that's baseball 101 on how to score a run. 
you know, and so like, and they, and it's not necessarily always, it's not always easy to, you know, push the ball to the right side to get the guy on second over to third, or it's not easy to hit a sack fly sometimes, you know, and let alone you're playing against a, you know, a pitcher that's, I think Texas Tech's starter was a major league guy, right? Isn't he? A, isn't, they had a bunch of studs on their team, but, um, you know, those aren't, it's not always easy to, to execute that stuff, let alone to execute, execute it on such a high, you know, at such a high level, at such a high uh, stress type situation. So, Well, in baseball, I mean, you say it's not baseball specific, and I think that's true, but I think baseball more than any other sport is so hard to play mad. Like, you know, there's no, like, rage mode in baseball. I think Verlander was able to do it a couple times, um, but it is, sure. it's, it's such a skill sport. It's very, very hard to, like, be like, you know, you, you can't, some coaches, you know, in football, you know, you want your guy to be able to, to be ready to run a brick, th- run through a brick wall. Uh, baseball, that would end up in a pretty bad team. Like, they wouldn't do very well, and it would just be frustrating more than anything. So, yeah, I think, I think the, the kind of the balance he's been able to do, uh, I think has really helped the team. And, and it's not baseball specific, it's just good coaching, but I think it, particularly portends to an underdog baseball team that's going on a on a run that if they really took a second and exhaled they wouldn't be able to believe what is happening but he's got them clicking and and continuing the run uh instead of instead of just making it to the regional or just making it to the college world series they're in a position where it's not infeasible for them to win the whole thing i agree so anyway, with that, uh, there'll be tons of baseball coverage, and, and who knows, maybe if they if they um, keep winning, we might have a podcast next week that is baseball-specific as well. But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our written articles over at the themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. Hope you see you next time.